Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. I reminded us a few weeks back, and will continue to remind us, that we were start, uh, started as a church 101 years ago by a woman in Germany who felt the call of God, heard the voice of God, went with her husband to an area she did not know, and whether or not she raised support and all those things in between, she literally lived as a missionary, called to a different place to bring the good news of Jesus to that area, and they came and they started to meet in their home, and what grew out of that was a church that grew over the years, started speaking, uh, started speaking in German and now speaks in English, and God has grown uh, the work and ministry of that initial faith, uh, that act of faith to what we have today. And God uh, gets all the glory for what he has done over that time. But I believe that in that process, God has just put it in our DNA as a church. It's who we are, not just our pastors or our leaders or any individual, but it's who Jesus has called and created Evangel to be as we are a missions-minded church. We do not forget about the calling, the great commission that God has called us to. And we, as a church throughout our history, have supported and sacrificed and given generously to see the gospel, the good news of Jesus, go out to the ends of the earth. And, um, and it's my desire as your pastor just to see that heart continue in and through us. Because I want to tell you, when I say it's in the DNA of Evangel Church, it is not literally in the wiring of the walls. It is not in the rafters or in some kind of, um, you know, smoke or something we let out through the vents that gets you thinking that way. No, it's in the hearts of the people that call Evangel Church home. So if it's in us, us means us, not the walls, not the bricks, not the sidewalks, us as the people of God, because that's the church. Church isn't a building, it's the people of God that come to worship. So that's a part of our history, our legacy, and I'm believing by God's grace it's going to continue to be a part of our future, right? Is anyone else with me? A couple of you are with me. Is anyone with me? We want to we wanna see. You, you better just be ready today because I'll keep, I'll, keep, I'll keep pressing you. I'm, I, I need to know you're with me today and, uh, because these are important matters to uh, God's heart. And that's been our prayer, that we would have a heart that is like the heart of Jesus. And that's my prayer. My prayer is that we could see. We preached a message last year entitled See Like Jesus, a series of messages. Do you remember it? And we, our desire was, Lord, I want to see like you see. And I hope that that's been your prayer ever since that point in time, that he would change our perspective. He would change the way that we see. And Jesus gives us an instruction whenever he's talking to his uh, followers, when he's talking in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 4, and he says something to his followers when he's sharing um, the, the Beatitudes with them. He says this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And what that, what that verse in particular really draws us to understand is that the condition of our heart has everything to do with the perspective that we have, with the condition of our eyes and how we see. What's going on with our heart is directly connected to what we're perceiving and seeing with our eyes. Are you with me? And so if that is true, that means that if we are a changed people, if God's word and the gospel is true that says this, I've taken away your heart of stone. I've taken away a heart full of sin and I've given you a new heart. And if we believe what God's word says, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, then you and I, do you know what we are? We're a changed life. We're not the same as we were. And we talked to you back in January about the changed life and what that means, and we made changed into an acronym, and every letter of the word changed stood for something, whether it was being connected to the body, 
uh, whether it was being A, actively sharing your faith, the G in changed um, talks about what changes in our life uh, whenever we come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And it's our generosity changes. We become a generous people. We have a heart that is generous, a heart of generosity. And today I want to talk to you about that because I shared with you last week that these messages that we are sharing during this time, they have everything to do with God's desire to change us not just those that we're praying for, not just those that we're giving towards, not just those places that we're going. God's desire first is to change our hearts so that our heart will break for the things that break the heart of God, so that our priorities will be aligned with the things that God believes matters most in these days. And we get uh, specific instruction around what matters to the heart of Jesus whenever we hear in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus sharing about the least of these. He said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. You invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And they said to him, Lord, we've never seen you in any of those places. What are you talking about? And this is what he said back to them. When you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you were doing it to me. And it set everyone's perspective in the right place. We saw who Jesus came to serve. He said, I didn't come to the healthy, I came to the sick. I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came for the least, the last, and the lost. And he came to them and he served them and they, they were those that started this whole movement that we call Christianity today the people that everyone would have counted out. Jesus saw their potential. Their lives were changed. When others saw problems, he saw sheep without a shepherd. And he was moved by compassion. And that compassion is the same heart that we are called to have that we would be able to begin to see differently. And part of that heart is a heart that will pray, that will lift up the needs of those around us, that will learn how to pray what we said last week, harvest prayers, just like Jesus called us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, ask him to send workers into his harvest field. That's so that our heart would begin to become aligned with that heart of missions, the heart to see the mission fulfilled that Jesus has for us. Today, if you'll go out in the foyer on your way out, you'll see we have a big missions wall there and it talks about what was accomplished by God's grace in 2015. And you can see the pictures and the stories of the work in Africa and the work in um, Iraq through Project Refuge and the work in Mexico and Teen Challenge over in Lebanon, New Jersey. You can see all of that. Right next to that, as you walk down this hallway, you're gonna see a poster board that's hung up with a bunch of stars on it. And on Friday night, I want you to know that our youth, our teenagers came together and their hearts were burdened and they wanted to pray. They wanted to pray for the victims and for those in France that were undergoing those terrorist attacks, those that are serving and ministering in that area. And so they wrote out some of their prayers and you can even read them as we go along. But I thought, what an amazing example of what it means for us to continue to carry that concern. I'm so glad that we're seeing it in our next generation, right? They could be doing a lot of other things. They're praying, they're interceding, they're lifting up the needs, they're being an example of what we just talked about last week. Their hearts are burdened and, and wanting to continue to reach out to see God move in that area. Today we're going to look at God's word in Philippians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, to see what it means to have a heart of generosity in the way that God has called us to. And again, if we are a changed life, that means our hearts have been changed and our hearts are now generous um, in the way that God would desire for them to be generous. So 
Lord Jesus, we come before you today. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the gospel, which speaks of the generosity of our Heavenly Father to us, his children. Lord, your word says, what great love you have lavished on us that you would call us the children of God. Lord, I thank you today that we've been adopted into your family. I thank you today for your grace, Lord God, your generous love that has been lavished on us, not when we deserved it, when we least deserved it, not when we could ever earn it, but Lord, it was given as a free gift of love and a gift that leads us into life. And so today, Lord, would you allow your heart to be our heart, and would you allow us, Lord God, to develop hearts of generosity around the things that matter to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The word generosity literally means above and beyond what's expected, more than what is expected. And whenever I pray just now, I'm praying about the, the generous love of God. You know why his love was so generous and he was so generous towards us? Because he gave us what we did not deserve. What we deserved was nothing like what we received. You and I, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. And instead of God giving us what we deserve, he gave us grace and his love that he lavished on us. And he invited us to be his children in a living, life-changing relationship with him. And I'm so thankful for that. God was a, a giving God. He loved us so much that he gave his son, Jesus, sent him into the world because he loved the world so much that we could come into a relationship with him. And so generosity, giving, those things are at the heart of God. And his children model that same heart as we experience a changed life ourselves. And as we are the people of God, we also come together and we make up what's called the church. And so you're a part of the church, not because you're in a building, but because you're here collectively to worship God together. And that's what the church is. And we look back in the book of Philippians. It is written by someone called uh, the Apostle Paul, and many of you have heard that name before. But if you haven't, the Apostle Paul was someone who, at one point in time, he was a terrorist. He was someone that was against the people of God. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He went around in the early part of the book of Acts, and he went around persecuting Christians. He was actually holding the jackets as one of the early church leaders was being stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus. He was so bent against destroying Christianity that he got letters and went and wanted to arrest Christians and throw them into prison. Sounds a lot like some of the schemes that people have today that are so bent against God's work and these people that we're calling terrorists today. But here's what I know, that God got a hold of his life. He had a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and it changed everything. And he went on to be one of the greatest leaders in the early church. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and he spent his last days in prison because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has the power to change any life, amen? He changes from the inside out. And so this man um, went around as a missionary, as an apostle. And the, we use the term apostle that means sent one. And he is a sent one. He was literally sent by God, by the Lord Jesus Christ, to go around to share the gospel, to share the message of hope that comes in Jesus. And as he went there, people came into relationship with Jesus. And as they all came together, they founded churches in homes and in areas where they could meet. They met together, they prayed, and they began to follow Jesus with their lives. And so he went from place to place until ultimately his faith led him to prison. And he was imprisoned for his faith. 
And it was from prison that he wrote letters back to churches that he had interacted with, churches that he had ministered to, churches that had supported him along the way. And he's writing here to this group of believers, this church in Philippi, the Philippians. And as he writes to them, he has some things to say to them. But one of the areas that he wants to talk about is their generosity as a church. So he's speaking to them because he's saying, you have a heart of generosity and he wants to admonish it, he wants to celebrate it and he wants to continue to point that heart of generosity back to the heart of God and how they're modeling the heart of Jesus when they're being generous in that way. And so um, I think this is a timely word for us to see a church, a group of believers that came together and learned what it means to have a generous heart. So we're gonna see three attributes, three principles that are central to having a heart of generosity. And the first one is found in Philippians chapter four, verse 10. And it comes around having a concern for others. A concern for others. Look what it says in Philippians 4.10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Paul is talking to this group of believers and he is, he's just excited for the way that they have revived their concern for him. Meaning that they have taken up concern that even when he is no longer with them, they're continuing to support him with their prayers, they're continuing to support him even with their resources and their finances, and he has noticed it. And he said, you've done it, and you've taken advantage of this opportunity now to give and to be generous and to have concern for me. The first thing that we need to have if we're gonna have hearts that are generous and have a heart of generosity is a concern for others. If we only have a concern for ourselves, do you know what that means? That means that we're selfish. That's not to insult you, but that's truly the definition of selfish is only concerning one's self, right? If we only care about ourselves, numero uno, if that's all that we care about, we become self-centered. We become the center of our own universe. We become all that matters. And that is really the epitome of our old life. We existed unto ourselves apart from God. But I want you to know something today, that when you've been changed, that is meant to be changed as well. When Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, he lives in me. Jesus was the epitome of selflessness. He came and humbled himself and laid down his life on a cross. He did not come to be served, but what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came as a selfless, humble servant, the son of God who deserved every accolade to be given. He deserved every person to worship him even in the moments that he walked this earth and yet instead he came and served them. He came and he modeled for us what it would mean for us to live lives of selflessness. That no longer are we centered on ourselves but we're now centered on him. And Jesus calls us to follow him. When he calls a disciple to follow him, it means this, come and live the kind of life that I'm living. It's not come take your old life and and just, you know, try to adjust it just enough so that you can kind of walk in a way that I'm walking. It's no, come lay down your old life, take up your cross, follow me in the way that I'm going. And that first area was a concern for others. If Jesus did not have a concern for others in his earthly ministry, we would be reading through some very short gospels. Because everything that Jesus did was an interruption to his time. People called him away and he healed the sick and people met him. In fact, his concern for us 
was what ultimately led him to the cross so that we could be saved and we could find freedom in the name of Jesus. So the concern for others is so vitally important. And we're never going to have a heart of generosity if we don't have a concern for others. If you can't think of anyone beyond yourself, then there is no real great opportunity for you to have a heart of generosity. And so this can happen at times, but for some of us, we'd say, you know what, that's not my story anymore. For some of us, we'd say, you know what, that's still my struggle. That's still something that God has to help me overcome. And my, my desire would be that God would just take the blinders off your eyes. He would expand your focus, your vision, that you would begin to care for those people that God would bring into your life and you would carry genuine concern for what God would desire to do in and through them. For others, when people come into your life and are in front of you and you hear the stories, whether it's a missionary or an opportunity, your heart goes out and you have a concern then. And Paul really witnessed a lot of this. He would go to a church and he would meet with those people and when he was with them, they would, uh, he says to one of them, you would have gouged your eyes out for me. That sounds kind of gross, but what he's saying is you would have given me your own eyes. You love me so much. But then he said, it's now a different story that I've left you. And there's a phrase that we use, and maybe you could finish it with me, out of, so, out of sight, out of, out of mind. Has anyone else ever suffered from that? You can be honest today. That you love, you care for someone, but then as they're away for a while, you lose, you lose track of remembering them. And then you feel bad and you say, wow, I haven't thought about them. I haven't connected with them. I haven't had a concern for them in a long time. It's not that you don't love them or care for them, but they're out of sight and therefore they're now out of your mind. But those who you truly carry a concern for, even when they're out of your sight, they're not out of your mind, right? They're close to your heart. That's why we, we're asking you to join us in the, the praying for our missionaries and joining one of the prayer teams. And I'm so glad to see hundreds of you signed up last week to pray for our missionaries on a monthly basis. Do you know what happens when we continue to pray for them? You continue to carry that concern for them in your heart. You continue to be reminded. Even in the middle of the night, you might wake up and be reminded, I'm going to pray for that missionary right now and for this need that God has put in their life. That's you carrying a concern for others. God uses that to open your heart, to take the blinders off of your eyes and allow you to begin to see the way Jesus has called us to see. And so the first area is having a concern for others. Paul admonishes this church because they revive their concern for him. He goes on to say that many other churches, most other churches, did not carry a concern for him after he had left them, but they did. They revived their concern for him. The second area is a contentment in the Lord. So it's a concern for others and then a contentment in the Lord. And this really speaks to us being content in our hearts. To be content means that we no longer need something else to make us feel satisfied. And so we need to find our contentment in the Lord. It says in Philippians chapter four, starting in verse 11, not that I speak from want. He said, thank you for what you've given, but I'm not speaking to you today out of a place of want because I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along in humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret to being filled and going hungry, to having abundance and suffering need. Here it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is it. Here's what this guy, Paul, says. Someone who at one point in time had all the pedigree of one of the great up-and-coming leaders in his area and in his religion of Judaism. He studied under the best teachers. He was apprenticed in the best places. He had the best of the best of the best. He was, had pedigree to raise him up to be someone of great influence, both religious and political. 
He could have had a very comfortable life and a very prosperous life. And on that day that he was holding the jackets as one of the early church leaders was being stoned to death, he may have had it very comfortable in his life. He knew what it was then to have much. But where we find him by the time we get through the book of Acts, he's being beaten, he's being lowered in baskets to save his life out of cities, he's being put in prison, he's being whipped in public and humiliated in front of people, he's at the point where he doesn't have um, even places to know where to turn to find food and to find meals and to find provision. He goes from that place of comfort and prosperity to a place of absolute need. And he said this, in all of those realms, I've learned what it means to really be content. It's not about the stuff. My contentment doesn't come from my stuff. It comes from my Savior. It comes from Jesus. I want you to hear something today. Your contentment doesn't come from your stuff. It comes from your Savior, Jesus. It comes from the one who has saved you, who has rescued you, who has set you free. Oftentimes, we can only find our contentment when we have things. And our contentment leaves when those things leave. And it might be in a title. It might be in some kind of material thing. It might be in a certain um, status that you would carry in life. It might be with a certain dollar amount in the bank. Whatever it is, that is what brings you contentment once you reach that place. For many people in this life, what they do is they set this outlandish goal of what will bring them contentment and peace. And they'll say, if at one point in time I can get this much in the bank, this much saved away, this much done here, this big of a house, this much, whatever it is, then I'll be content. And you know what they find out when they get all those things? They're less content than they were when they didn't have any of it. They're more anxious, more fr- You know why? Because contentment doesn't come from our stuff. It comes from our Savior. It comes from the Lord alone. He's the only one that can truly bring satisfaction to our hearts. He's the only one that can truly bring peace. So Paul says, it doesn't come from what I have and what I don't have. It comes from the fact that I'm reminded that even when I have nothing of worldly value in this life, I have everything because I have Jesus. And if I have Jesus, then I can do anything because he strengthens me. He gives me what I need to accomplish what he's called me to. So he finds his contentment in the Lord and he shares that with them. And that's a key to having a heart that is generous before God because I'll tell you what, if you only live in this life to want to get the things that you need, if that's at the center of your heart and your life is material things, is finances, is status, is all of that, if that allows your contentment to rise and fall, then your eyes and your heart are going to be fixed on those kinds of things. And it'll be very hard for you to really feel like you could be generous at any point in time because, because that's what you're holding on to. But when you realize at the end of the day that All that comes, all that goes, but what will last for eternity is your relationship with God, your contentment comes from him, then it opens your heart and allows you to really go to the Lord and say, Lord, you've given me all this. I'm not gonna try to hold on to it. I'm not gonna try to to grasp at it. I'm not gonna try to close my fists around it and protect it. Lord, I'm gonna open my heart and open my hands and say, Lord, what would you desire to have happen in my life? That's scary, that can be a very scary thing. Do you know why? It's very easy to live open-handed and open-hearted when you don't have anything. Whenever you don't have much, it's very easy for you to go around because you don't have anything in your hand to begin with. But I'll tell you what, if, I, if someone came along and put a $100 bill in your hand and you had an open hand like this, what would your first instinct be? To close your hand around it. Why? You don't want it to fly away. I'll tell you what, the windier it was, the tighter you'd be holding it, Right? 
You put it in your pocket, you keep looking at it, make sure it's there. Don't want to let go of it. That's what happens in life. When we start out, we feel like we have nothing. We have open hands, open hearts. But guess what? Then God starts to bless your life. And every time blessing accrues, you just start to want to close your hand just a little bit more around it. And here's something that we don't realize is that the more we have a closed hand around it, yes, we might be protecting what's there, but we're also stopping anything else from being placed in it. It takes a lot of faith to be able to just live open hands, open hearts before the Lord and say, Lord, have your way. What is it that you would have me to do? And you say, that sounds risky. We're going to talk about that. It's really around living by faith in such a way that we trust God. And we say, God, you bring ultimate contentment into my life. I trust you. This is something that really is a heart issue for us, something we have to look deep into our heart and ask the Lord, Lord, what's going on there? If we go back into Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 19, here's what Jesus says about this. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whenever we talk about the heart today, in today's culture and life, we normally think about things like emotions. But I want you to know that the heart in, in the ancient Near East culture, in the time and place of Jesus, during this context when he's sharing it with all those people during the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about the heart, he's talking about the command center for the entire life. He's not just talking about the place of your emotions. He's talking about the place of your feeling, the place of your thinking, the place of your being, the place of your doing, that that's your heart. And your heart is ultimately what will lead your life forward. In fact, we get a warning in Proverbs chapter 4, and it says that above all else, we should really guard our heart because everything you do flows from it. Get that. Above all else, guard your heart. Because everything you do flows out of your heart. One of the ways that I've said this in the past is this, that your treasure tells your heart's tale. When you go back there to chapter 6, verse 21 of Matthew, it says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That ultimately, wherever your treasure is found, your heart is there as well. Today, if your treasure is found in the stock market, guess what? You're checking the stock market a lot. And guess what? Your heart rises and falls with the numbers, doesn't it? Because your heart's there. Because your treasure's there. And you know what? There are, there are a lot of risky places to put your treasure and to put whatever it is that matters most. And Jesus said, where are you going to store that? Because that will matter the most. And that will ultimately show where your heart is and where your life kind of leads you continually. To have a heart of generosity means we found our contentment in the Lord, meaning we trust him, meaning also that we've gotten over this thing, that we're not just about storing up treasure here on earth, we're about investing treasure into the kingdom of God and seeing in advance to see our heart where God's heart would desire us to be. And as the heart, the command center of the life, understands that we are putting our treasure and we are treasuring the things that matter to the heart of God, our heart goes in that direction then and moves in that way. So that's something for us to pray about and something for us to ask ourselves. That's a conversation each one you have with the Lord before yourself. Lord, where's my heart? Where's my treasure? Am I only putting it in things in this world, things that can easily rise and fall and go? Risky investments and all the things in between. Because if so, you'll find your heart going up and down. 
you'll find it spiking and dropping and it will be anxiety producing. But I want to tell you this. What I've learned is I've never, ever, ever felt that way whenever I'm generous to the things that God puts in front of me. Whenever I give to the Lord, whenever I give uh, to missions, to tithing, none of that causes my heart to do all that. At the beginning, it did. Whenever I was a new Christian and I thought, wait, what? What does God's word say? About, no, I thought this was all mine. I thought I'd just go and I have to sit through a half an hour of a message and, that, and that's it. What does the Lord, what, what, what does he would have in me? And as I learned to stretch and to grow in those areas, sure, it's scary at the beginning, but I can tell you years later, we serve a God who's faithful. We serve a God who we can't outgive, and we learn that as a church. As a church, our history goes in the same way. We've had times, and you would, you would maybe not believe it if you're newer here, we had times where we didn't have enough money in the bank to pay some of our bills in, in a given week to meet payroll expenses, to meet even the electric bills. And the leaders of the church would come together and say, <coughs> our hearts are <laughs> doing this, what are we going to do? And they prayed. And they said, you know, we're going to do, we're going to continue to fulfill our missions commitments. We're going to make sure our missionaries have what they need. And so in the face of them literally wondering if, if we would have enough to pay the bills to keep this thing open, they put God first, they put missions first, they gave to the Lord, and you know what? God took care of the rest. Never had to look back. There are times we go back and we look through journals that I can barely open because they're written in the 20s and the 30s, handwritten notes. People we didn't have enough during the Great Depression as a church. Do, we, do you get it? Our church existed during the Great Depression. That's some perspective, right? And during that time, not one of our missions commitments failed. We needed to replace our roof. We needed to do all kinds of stuff. But we said, you know what? Our missionaries are going to the ends of the earth. We're going to continue to support them sacrificially. Guess what? We never had to suffer from that kind of choice. God honors those kinds of choices again and again and again. And we could look back over 101 years and I could tell you with confidence being a mission-minded church, having a heart of generosity has never failed us because God continues to put back. He continues to bless. And we find our contentment not in our stuff but in what God has called us to do and who, he, who he's called us to be. And this comes from the third point ultimately. It, is, it comes from a commitment to the mission. Not to missions, not to an organization, not to a church building, it's a commitment to the mission, the greater mission that Jesus has called every follower to. From the time that he gathered his disciples together in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and said, go therefore into all the world preaching the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, making disciples of all nations, going out and doing that. That's your mission. And his followers went out from there and they fulfilled the mission. If they didn't have a concern for others, they would have never made it past those first days. They would have just become inwardly focused, worrying about themselves, worrying about their own wants and needs, and they would have never seen the world around them changed. If they didn't have a contentment in the Lord, they would have been so worried that when they needed to leave their nets and follow Jesus, that meant that they were leaving all of their means of provision to go and follow this person who did not even have a place to rest at night. He did not even have a home to call his own and they're giving up their careers and following him. The gospel would have never went out if people weren't content in the Lord and his call, if they weren't concerned for others, and if they didn't have a, a, content, a commitment to the mission that God had called them to. They gave up everything for that mission. And I want you to know this. Every church that has preached Christ, that preaches God's word, that preaches the gospel, started with a commitment to the mission that God had for them. 
and has for everyone that calls themselves a follower of Jesus. There's something that happens over the years, though. You'll see churches that close, right? You'll drive by them. They won't be churches anymore. Somewhere along the way, sometimes something dangerous can happen. It's when a church starts to look out and say, we're all about the mission. And then it starts to become about some other things. And I remember watching a video that someone showed here, one of our guest speakers, and said that many of the rescue stations all along the coastline, at one point in time, they started out as those that would look out and they would see boats that had wrecked and they would be those that would go out and save people that were wrecked at sea and bring them in there and they would bring them up and, and help them be saved and, 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 and rescued and made whole. That over time, it started to become more of a club than it was a calling. And before long, they stopped wanting to see all those people being saved and brought in. Instead, they wanted to just have their own programs and their own fun. And, and before long, they didn't have any rescue boats anymore. They didn't have any rescuers anymore. They just had a bunch of people that came together and had fun and enjoyed themselves while there were people perishing all around them. Unfortunately, that's also the story of what can happen in churches. If we don't continue to be externally focused, if we don't continue to be reminded that there's a mission that we are committed with everything in us to see fulfilled in this area, people coming into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. If we don't keep a commitment to that mission at the core of who we are, church, we can miss it. We're not above that. We're not better than anyone else. The only thing that we can say is that we just continue to champion the mission that Jesus has given us. And we continue to do it until he returns. Amen? And so that's our calling. That's who we are. And as long as we continue to do that, the Lord will continue to give us opportunity to show that commitment. Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17, Paul's speaking to this church, and he says to them, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. He said, When I had need, you shared with me. He said, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. And even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. He says to them, not one other church. As I came, as I went, as I went around, no one else did what you did. You stepped up, you led the way with generosity. You gave above and beyond. At other points when he's writing to them, he says, you went into need yourselves to make sure that I had the needs fulfilled. You sacrificed so that God, God would use me and send me and continue to allow me to preach the gospel in the places that he's called me to. He says, your commitment to the mission is what made that possible. That's what makes a heart of generosity possible is when we have a commitment to the mission that Jesus has called us to, we can have the generosity that he's called us to have. And he continues to go on and he shares in Philippians chapter four, verses 18 through 20. He said this, I have received everything in full and I have abundance. I'm amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent me. And he starts to use offering like worshipful temple offering language here. He says, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He is describing what they have given because they did not give him a bunch of scents or soaps that you'd buy at Bed and Bath and Body Works. He didn't do any of that. What they sent him was provision to meet the needs, but he was likening that to a sacrifice and an offering that one would bring before the Lord in the temple. 
He said that's a fragrant aroma to the Lord. It's well-pleasing to the heart of God. It's helping to meet the needs. It's an acceptable sacrifice. And here's what he says back to them. It's ironic because he's saying it in chains. He's saying all the generosity you have shown, everything that you have done to help see this commitment to the mission through, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I want you to know something today. We serve a God who is faithful. We serve a God who we can never outgive. We can never be more generous than God has been towards us. It's impossible. Because it's like, we, we could say, well, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and he was like, well, I sent Jesus. And say, oh, you got me. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I could do that would ever, ever, ever be more generous than what God has done for us. And God desires Get this, this isn't for the sake of, of Evangel Church, this isn't for the sake of, uh, of any organization or me as your pastor, this is for the sake of the kingdom of God and for you as one of his followers. He desires to cultivate in the heart of his followers a heart of generosity, a heart that doesn't hold tightly to the things of this world, a heart that is quick to say, God, what is it you're calling me to do? I'm in, I'm committed to the mission that you've called us to. I wanna see lives change for your glory and for your purposes. And when we do that, God is glorified and his people, his people always see his faithfulness whenever we continue to put him, him first. I was meeting with someone this last week and they were in a nursing home and uh, someone from the body had shared with me that, that their loved one was very soon to go and be with Jesus and wanted uh, me to pray with them. And so I went and I talked to her, um, his grandmother, and as I shared and we were talking, she was just talking about the Lord and her love for the Lord and all these generations that have gone by. And it reminded me of this passage of scripture back in Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 23, Joshua's doing the same thing. And if you remember with me, Joshua was someone that had been with the people of God as they're coming out of Egypt, as they're moving towards the promised land. He had seen a whole generation die in the wilderness. He had, he had seen Red Sea. He had seen uh, provision. He had seen manna from heaven. He had seen uh, bitter water turning sweet. He had seen it all. He had seen people die right there in, in, in the wilderness as they've had wants and needs and all kinds of things along the way as they wandered in their disobedience. And he's sharing, and this is what Joshua says in tw verse, chapter 23, verse 14. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth, meaning I'm about to become dust. I'm about to pass away. I'm about to go. You know, though, with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. I can tell you, looking back over the history of Evangel Church, which we did last year, we can look back and we could see people have failed. We could see all kinds of, but here's what we could say with absolute certainty. Our God has never failed us. He has never forsaken us. He has continued to fulfill his promises to hold us, to keep us as we've put him first. There's something that I want to invite us to take part in today, and this is going to be the beginning of it. You're not going to actually fill this out, but if you could reach down to the end of your pew, on one of the sides, you're going to see a stack of these cards. If you could just reach down and grab those, they look a lot like the cards you had last week, but instead of prayer, it says, I will give. I told you last week there are three areas that really impact the heart. It's the way we pray, the way we give, the way we go. And the Lord wants to cultivate in us today a heart of generosity. Each year as a church, we make a commitment to missions. 
to give above and beyond our tithe, what we normally return to the Lord when we come together and take offering together. Our, when that comes into the church, it comes in in two forms. One is the tithe, what we're giving to the Lord, in obedience to his word. But above and beyond that, we give an offering to missions. And it's this time of the year that we pray and we identify and we make a commitment to the Lord to say, what is it that we will by faith give in the year that's ahead so that we could see the mission of God being fulfilled to the ends of the earth, our missionaries being supported, to see uh, projects being completed, to see trips going out, to see lives changed here and around the world. And because of your generosity, church, every year God is doing amazing things and we're seeing lives transformed all around. Because of your generosity this last year, we were able to see Project Refuge completed, a, a, a school and a church for a community of refugees in northern Iraq now there are nearly a thousand of them coming together in that building, many of them hearing the gospel weekly in that church building. That's because you saw and heard the heart of God and you gave generously. Because of you, we were able to support some of those refugees with supply packages and care packages. We were able to bless our community through boxes, through giving in, in, in ways around here. We were able to take trips to go locally and globally to share the good news in Rwanda, in Guadalajara, Mexico, we were able to go to Teen Challenge right here in New Jersey and see a chapel built and see residence cabins, to see them grow so that more people can be set free from the addiction of, and bondages of drugs and alcohol and addiction. Lives changed all around. We've seen the over 150 missionaries, and every time I see one of them, you know what the continued testimony of Evangel Church in Scotch Plains is? It doesn't matter where in the country I see them. They say, you guys, do you know you've been supporting me for 30 years? Never once did I not receive a check. Never once did I ever not receive. Never once. I don't know what's been going on with you guys, but never once have I ever, have I ever felt like you guys had, had dropped off and supporting and praying for us. That's the testimony. That's, that's what the last generation has brought to us here, church. And I'm just believing God to do even more as we move forward, right? Because there's still many people that need to hear the good news by God's grace, in 2015, we're on target to give away over $600,000 to missions to go out to the ends of the earth. Praise God. It's because of your generosity. It's because of the generosity of the generation before us that has allowed us even to have some extra to be able to send. But as we move into 2016, we're believing God again for, for a great, a great work. We've set a goal for missions in 2016 of $875,000. And we're believing together. Let's believe together that God can accomplish it. And we have some funds that we already have ready. We already have secured. We're ready to send them even as the new year begins. But it's a God-sized goal. And it's going to require all of us willing to hear God's heart in this way and say, God, give me a heart of generosity so that I can be a part of what you're calling to do. This isn't about you giving to a church. It's about you giving to the Lord through the church. This is the vehicle that we use to see the gospel go out to the ends of the earth. And I want you to take this card and I want you to sit with your family. I want you to pray and ask the Lord to give you a number. It could be the number for the whole year, whatever it might be. And then if you'd want to, you just divide it by 12 to know what that monthly amount would be. And on December 6th, we're gonna come back together and we're gonna take up a special missions offering and it's going to be an opportunity at the end of the year for us to come and to make a commitment about what the Lord can do through us. And I'm believing that we will be able to, as a church, raise those funds in 2016 so that we can see more lives changed and transformed by God's goodness. 
But I also ask you to pray that at the end of the year, if you are already preparing to give in a year-end offering, to even come not just with the car, but come with a missions gift to be ready to set us up so that we can walk into 2016 strong, ready to get behind the many projects. We are planning more trips than, than we've ever had in my time here at Evangel Church going out next year to the ends of the earth to bring the gospel. We want you to be a part of it. So pray about that. Allow God to put it on your heart. And let's come together in three weeks ready to give to the Lord and to see how he could use our generosity for his kingdom purposes. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me today? I'm going to pray for us. And I want to pray for us just specifically because this, this message has so much more to do with our heart than it does about missions or about finances or about anything else. But giving is such an important thing for us to grasp as followers of Jesus. If that's been a struggle for you, if that's something that you're still working through, I want you to know that we have people here at the church that can meet with you, talk with you, pray with you. Um, we could offer you resources to help you in that area if it's been a struggle. But today we're going to pray because we know that God has been so generous, so giving to us. And my prayer for you has been this, that Lord would just speak to you in this area and continue to grow your faith and your trust in him. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, we just come before you today and we respond to your word, Lord God, that calls us to be generous, Lord God, in the way that you've been generous towards us. So would you take even this commitment, this time of prayer, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would you grow our faith, Lord God? Lord, would we not come together and just simply put, put together something that would feel comfortable, Lord God? Help us to live by faith, trusting you, Lord God, every step along the way that you would do what only you can do in and through us, Lord God. We thank you today. We trust you with our lives. We give you everything that we are. and We worship you in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer today, we're going to have our altar workers present here at the front. And we want to pray with you. We want to minister if there's a need in your body or in your life. We're going to worship the Lord together. And as you feel led to go, you're free to go. God bless you. We'll see you again next week.